Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Take it, shoot that, shoot that. We're going in the middle. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, I really wasn't expecting to post anything during the preseason, but, you know, this ain't normal times. Sunday night, just when I needed something, anything, you know, Pick me up to brighten my day as I was covering the Jets' dumpster fire for WFN.com. Kevin Durant suited up for the first time as a Brooklyn Net. Yes, preseason against a depleted Washington squad. But to steal a line from Seinfeld, it was real and it was spectacular. Like many of you Nets fans, it was, it was like a dream. One of the greatest players of all time is going to be getting a whole lot of buckets for the Nets this season. The Nets! Anyway, because this is kind of last minute, you know, it's going to be a quick show. I have a few things I want to get out there, so thanks for hanging in with me. And thanks again for your patience as our station works to get this show back on Apple Podcasts. I'm told it's in the works, whatever that means. So again, you know, thank you for listening on Radio.com, Stitcher, or whatever platform gets the job done for you. So, Kevin Durant, how'd he really look? I mean, even he said it's too early to tell. Explosive first half, 15 points on just 8 shots. First bucket was a driving dunk. He seemed to use a Jordan-esque technique, get himself going, taking umbrage with the way certain wizards like Rui Hachimura, weren't giving him the proper respect, blocked two shots, even took a charge, said he was going to feel that for a little bit. Gave it a good long run, too. You know, 17 and a half minutes in the first half, which, you know, as my friend Larry Fleischer likes to tweet, puts him on pace for a 35-minute game. Of course, you know, just as obviously, he wasn't going to do that in the second half, which, you know, didn't go as well. KD missed all four of his field goal attempts as the Wizards whittled away all of a big Nets lead. But, you know, none of that matters, of course, because the important part is that he played. After about 18 months of no competitive basketball, 
KD got past that first barrier. Listen, this is going to be a process. You know, the goal is for him to peak in May, not December. And by the way, no disrespect to Kyrie Irving, who was probably even more fantastic on Sunday night, scoring at will on the lesser competition. You know, no disrespect to Kyrie, but this is KD's team. The Nets, listen here, the Nets will go as far as Durant is back to his former MVP self. I think I've said this before, but if he's a shell of that player, this team holds on to a lower seed in the East and won't win a round. If he's not quite what he was, with maybe less athleticism, but can still fill it up, you know, like a Dirk Nowitzki 2.0, you know, the Nets can compete in the early rounds of the postseason. But, you know, if, like some have seen him are already predicting, if KD is all the way back and everyone else is relatively healthy come playoff time, you know, then I'm envisioning the Nets legitimately competing for a championship with, like, a conference finals berth as the floor. Now, you know, the other hot topic from last week is how Kyrie is going to torpedo everything, that, you know, he's a cancer you know, look, as someone who has a credential for the Nets Zoom interviews, I wasn't a fan of Irving's stance to not talk during Nets Media Week. I mean, I think it hurts you listeners and readers when professionals like so many of my City Game podcast guests, they're unable to ask him tough questions. And he doesn't do himself any favors when he tries to put his own words out there, you know, like calling his haters in the media pawns. We're joking with KD about how this team is going to run. I personally think in those instances, it would have been better if he kept to his word and stayed silent. But look, my opinion is irrelevant. And how Irving handles his PR off the court is just as irrelevant when it comes to how the Nets will fare on the court. And, you know, as many of you now know, he did decide to open himself up to media questions on Monday talking in a very relaxed tone about the process of turning this team into real title contenders. And that's always what's going to be most important, how his teammates relate to him. And from what I saw inside the Nets locker room last year, Irving is as well-liked and respected as anyone. You know, everyone from Karis LeVert to Theo Pinson gravitated toward him. And as far as I can tell, he's looked like he's the same dynamic player he always was. You know, one of the best handles of all time and the ability to score from all three levels. And by, by the way, I have to do this aside. Did you notice all the mid-range shots the Nets took on Sunday? Unfortunately, NBA.com isn't tracking shots in the preseason, but I'd bet that Brooklyn's percentage of mid-range shots was a heck of a lot higher than it was during all last season. You know, Irving made 7 of 9 overall, so I had to go through the game book and I counted one layup, three three three-point attempts, and five shots from mid-range or mid-pain areas. So, look, the only issue I'm concerned about with Irving is his health. He's not a big guy for this league, and he's going to get banged around. How's his shoulder going to handle, you know, when he's going to try to squeeze through screens on defense? You know, will it deteriorate to the point where his shot goes down the tubes again like last season? You know, these matter more to me than whether I get to ask him a question this season. So, a couple other nuggets before I go. 
Steve Nash has been talking up Levert for a Manu Ginobili-type role this season, coming off the bench, while Spencer Dinwiddie, he'll go from a six-man-of-the-year candidate to a starting job. Now, Nash said on Monday that the situation will likely be fluid, you know, with everything from injuries to COVID to load management to worry about. For now, I don't have enough information to read into this, so I'm just going to speculate here. You know, wondering if this has anything to do with all the trade rumors out there. You know, Spencer going to Houston for Arden, Spencer going to San Antonio, Spencer going to the Clippers, Spencer going here, Spencer going there. You know, because of his contract status with the player option that, you know, makes him an unrestricted free agent after the season if he opts out. You know, that's showing him some love. Levert, meanwhile, you know, he's in the first season of a three-year contract extension. He's not a threat to bolt anytime soon unless the Nets decide to trade him. But, you know, as for the basketball part, Levert sat out on Sunday with a knee issue that hopefully isn't more than a day-to-day thing. Nash said he's going to participate in a team scrimmage on Tuesday. Otherwise, you know, if Levert can get used to the new off-the-bench routine thing, yeah, I guess it could work. I mean, Karras can be a really streaky performer, especially when it comes to his jump shots, so it might not be as easy as that sounds. But then again, it might work if, you know, a Levert-Irving pairing out of the gate makes Karras a little hesitant. Saw that a little from Spencer on Sunday. He had some very open looks that no doubt he would have taken in years past. But, you know, he looked one way and saw Kevin. Looked the other way, saw Kyrie. Then he passed the rock. And he choked afterwards that playing with those two is stress-free, good for his health. But, no, by the way, excuse the another tangent here, but Spencer, can you please improve your passing this year? I know folks are going to look at his seven assists in 25 minutes and wonder what the heck I'm talking about. You see, like total rebounds, assists are a cumulative stat based on court presence. It's like if you're setting up the attack and pass the ball to a guy who scores, voila, an assist, no matter how good the pass was. And on the other end, a bad pass doesn't always produce a turnover. But that's not the point. An NBA guard should be able to make simple passes. I mean, if you can't throw a lob, don't. DeAndre Jordan isn't Michael Jordan. At 32, he doesn't have that kind of body control. I don't know if he ever did. In any event, you know, passing is an important skill. So otherwise, I didn't take away much from Sunday's game, except that I was intrigued by Nash's substitution patterns. I mean, I actually liked what I saw. You know, it could have been just one meaningless game, so let me not get too far ahead of myself. But the Nets, the Sean Marks Brooklyn Nets, played pretty, pretty big. No Torian Prince, Joe Harris, or Timothy Luau Cabarro at the four. We saw quite a bit of Reggie Perry, the Nets' second-round pick, you know, at center. And Nash didn't cut him off at the knees by playing him in a small ball lineup. He actually had him on the court next to guys like Jeff Green and even KD for a little stretch. You know, and those were plus lineups. And to start the second half with Irving done for the night, the lineup was Spencer, Harris, TLC, KD, and Jordan. Now, that didn't go so well, but still. You know, after all these years of enduring the Rondé Hollis Jeffersons of the world at the four, you just had to know that I would notice the new thinking. So this gets me back to Nash, and, you know, I just hate to say this because i got to give him a chance, but, you know, I just feel like having him on the sideline this season is almost like having a whiz kid who just got his driver's license at the wheel of a favorite of the Indianapolis 500. 
Sure, you know, the car's going to do most of the work, and the kid may just be a fantastic fit. But why take that chance? Especially when there are other drivers available with proven experience, winning experience. I got into a debate with a few people on Twitter about that last week. I remain obstinate. Not knowing how Nash will fare when it comes to managing big games is a big risk. I said this several times before, so I apologize again. How well someone performs as a player has zero bearing, zero bearing as to how well they can coach. They can be good, middling, or stink, just like anybody else. You know, Rudy Tomjanovich, who was just elected, so, you know, before the two titles he won with Houston in the mid-90s, you know, before him, the last Hall of Fame player to win an NBA championship as a coach, Billy Cunningham in 1983. 1983. Now, if a playing career is so important, how does that explain Greg Popovich, Eric Spolstra, Nick Nurse, some of the best coaches today, Never even played in the league. In the last 10 seasons, there have been nine different coaches that reached an NBA Finals. Five of them never made it to the show as a player. Now, I'm not saying that that's the only way to go, like Tom Thibodeau should have been the guy. You know, I'm sure he's going to make the Knicks a tougher opponent, but you know, I could see where the Nets might have thought you know, that he wouldn't have been a good fit here. However, I do think the Nets could have found someone with a better balance of coaching skill, and communication skill. You know, in my opinion, to talk about Nash as merely a communicator, or as Sean Mark said, a facilitator, that's kind of disrespectful to what NBA coaches do. That's a big part of the job, but by no means is it almost all of it. You guys know my good friend and podcast regular Greg Logan of Newsday. Well, I'm glad he put this out on Twitter first, so I can do it now. But, you know, I also heard that Tyron Lue who many of you know was my preferred choice for this gig, that Lou was so highly regarded on Doc Rivers' staff that only he was tasked with the job of preparing scouting reports on every Clippers opponent. You know, usually that job is spread out among different assistants, but Rivers wanted it done right, so he had Lou do all of them. That should tell you something. Unfortunately, you know, like many opportunities in our lives, a lot of it is who you know. And it's just my feeling that Lou, he just wasn't part of Marx's circle. Nash was, and it was found that he wanted to do this. You know, he was deemed acceptable to all parties, from ownership to the superstars. Again, it just may be that Nash is very good at this. I don't know. And my point is that you don't know. So with the Nets in win-now mode, it just seems like an unnecessary risk. And like that old mafia boss near the end of Goodfellas when they're deciding whether to whack people, why take a chance? So with the Nets coming away with their first victory in KD's first appearance, I don't want to end on such a sour note. So I'm going to leave you with this little clip that I got from Steve Nash last week. You may have heard it already, but if you didn't, enjoy. Hi, uh, Steve. Uh, I don't know if you saw what uh, Grand Hill or heard what Grand Hill said on NBA TV yesterday about how he's looking forward to when you're getting your first technical and thinks it's going to be in your first game. But having not done this, do you think you're going to be more of the emotional type on the sideline or uh, you, you expect more from yourself? I feel like I'm just going to be a meme for Grand Hill the rest of my life now that I've, that I've taken this, this role. But, uh, um, 
It's a great question. You know, I, I, uh, I've thought about it and I, and I, and I want to say that I, you know, that I'll be under control and more, uh, on the mellow side, but, uh, that might be pretty presumptuous. You know, I've always been a bit fiery and emotional as a player and, um, that, that kind of, you know, competitiveness and passion is really hard to subdue. So we'll see, you know, I feel like I'll be reasonable over there, but, uh, who knows? I may not react well to the to the moment and be a little bit loud, and then I'll have to adapt and kind of slap myself on the wrist and and find a nice middle ground where I can be passionate and emotional in a competitive sense, but also under control. So that was Nets coach Steve Nash, and that's my short and sweet quickie take on what went down in Brooklyn on Sunday. Hope you folks enjoyed it. Look for a real season preview with a very special guest sometime before the Nets open up with that national TV game against the Warriors on December 22nd, next week already. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.